Hello and good day, Marvelous Podcast family. I hope that wherever you are on this beautiful planet, you're doing amazing, and I'm sending all of my love, well wishes, prayers, and good vibes to you, your family, and your friends. Wishing you all the best. We've got a phenomenal episode of the show for you today. We have Jahan Hamsazade on, and we're talking about the psilocybin connection, psychedelics, the tra- and the transformation of consciousness. Uh, we dive deep in the show. We talk about indigenous cultures and psychedelics, uh, the importance of set and setting, the integration process, the work of Michael Pollan, the origins of psilocybin in our culture, the Rig Vedas and mushroom, the cave art origins, uh, helping with depression, um, some research that's coming out, neuroscience and psychedelics, microdosing. Uh, we we cover the whole gauntlet. So if if you're curious about um, psychedelics and psilocybin, this is an absolutely phenomenal episode. It is very informative and uh, you're going to learn a lot. So I hope that you enjoy this episode. And if you do, please share it. Uh, leave a review on iTunes. Do what you can to get the word out there because uh, we are still battling the algorithms and uh, anything you can do to support is amazing. Um, if you want to support the show, you can also go to mapbylayer.com where I'm backing up all the episodes. You can get it free. Uh, or so you can get exclusive content uh, content over there you can get it for free or by donation so if you can't afford a, a small monthly donation i'm happy to gift that to you and for those of you guys who are interested in working one-on-one with me uh you can do coaching you can do the atomic alchemy mastermind group that means weekly with me and in a very powerful group and you can check out some of the courses uh soul compass and quantum heart hypnosis so everything is really a revolved around helping you get crystal clear on your authentic life path from your authentic heart from your soul your mission why you came here and how to live a beautiful and extraordinary life using all the peak performance mindsets tools but towards something that is really valuable to you so if that sounds interesting to you just hit me up matt at zenathlete.com and i'd be happy to help you out so uh that's it let's come into a state of peace and coherence and as always if you want to do three kind acts uh that's the best way to support the show but let's come into a state of peace and coherence before we start this episode wherever you are in the world just stop what you're doing take in a deep breath in through your nose hold that breath and let it out slowly filling every cell muscle and fiber of your being with peace joy contentment faith courage empowerment and get ready to enjoy this phenomenal episode with jahan hamzazadeh hello and welcome to the mastermind body and spirit show I'm your host, Matt Belair. As you know, we are currently overcoming extreme censorship. So if you'd like to support this show, please leave a review on iTunes, share episodes far and wide. Consider becoming a member at mattbelair.com where we back up all the content. We also back it up on Rockfin and on Odyssey where you can find all the old episodes. Um, But most importantly, consider doing three kind acts wherever you are in the world today. Today's guest completed his PhD dissertation on psychedelics at the California Institute of Integral Studies. His dissertation became a book, The the Psilocybin Connection, Psychedelics, the Transformation of Consciousness, and Evolution of the Planet, an Integral Approach. Welcome to the show, Jahan, and I'm getting you to pronounce your last name for me because I don't want to butcher it. Thank you. I'm at Hamsazadeh. Well, man, I'm so stoked to dive into this episode. You know, when I got your bio, I looked at what you're doing. Um, I'm excited because, you know, psychedelics are something that I've experimented with um, and used, and I've seen a lot of people get a, a great benefit, but I've also seen some of the the darker side of that. Maybe people aren't ready or doing it in the wrong settings. So I feel like there is a lot of merit to 
um, exploring these things and getting data and getting research. You know what I mean? It's kind of like, I know something as simple as like cold plunging, like it could be helpful to do a cold plunge, but if you're not ready for that, you know, maybe you're going to get sick and you're going to end up getting hurt. So um, I just love for you to share a little bit about your research, your background, your inspiration to um, go into this field of study and some of the things you've discovered and why you ended up writing the book. Yeah, no, thank you. Thanks for bringing all that up. Uh, first and foremost, they were the most transformative experiences of my life. I've been looking at them now for 20 years, all the while also doing 20 years of higher education with the bachelor's, master's, and doctors. And during that time, I drove myself into spirituality, a lot of meditation, a lot of different workshops, a lot of different kind of community-focused work, and really came to see those psychedelics that had been the most transformative and had given me the most. And so several years ago, I decided to focus my attention 100% in that direction. Um, and this is after I had a, a huge psilocybin experience at 18 that drastically informed my life. And it kind of gave me this deep sense of interconnection with the world. During that time, nothing else had come close to really coming to that level of resemblance. And so once I moved my dissertation in that, um, I also went three huge trainings at the same time. I trained for a few years with the Mazatec mushroom tradition in Mexico. I did two years of somatic psychotherapy practice um, called Hakomi. And assisted for two years at the psychedelic certificate training at CIS, and now lead legal psilocybin ceremonies in Jamaica. And the book itself was approached to answer some of the big questions, like what are psychedelics, why do they exist, and specifically, do they play a role in the emergence of humanity? You know, I've been focused on evolution for a long time of consciousness and biology, and the grounded explanation that we emerged through a symbiotic relationship through the mushrooms in our ancestors' environment me was the best explanation of the emergence of humanity. Wow. Well, that's a very concise, <laughs> concise background. And I love how you have uh, like the traditional training as well with some of the, you know, the Native American teachings and the indigenous teachings as I explored um, ayahuasca, you know, the plant medicine and, uh, you know, it's very powerful. And it's interesting that, you know, apparently they they said that the plants told us the two plants that you mix together to create the ayahuasca experience. Um, you know, that's where they said they found that information, which is really interesting. And it just takes this idea. Um, I remember one of my friends, Carlos Barrios, who was a Mayan elder, and he he did a this was in the 90s, I believe, and had a. Um, like kind of an elders meeting and an elder summit, so to speak, and elders from all over South America came and he organized that. And one of the kind of the most revered uh, people, one of the elders, they stayed at his house and he said, one day he's he's in the shower and he and he says to him the water's dead so he leaves his house and he goes out to like a nearby river or something and bays and comes back and you know mm -hmm. it just made me think from this story that this person just lived in in the uh, in nature you know fully mm -hmm. out in nature no electricity no screens nothing his entire life so what a superior connection to nature and all these nuances in this uh, developed skill and understanding that he would have so if you take that and you apply that to the plants around you to understanding these different things so um you know the native american cultures have used this and when you studied with um you know your native american teachers is that something that they would use as like a rite of passage or how did they use those ceremonies within their own culture and their own people. Yeah, with the, with the Mazatec tradition in particular, but also within the indigenous traditions that use psychedelics that sometimes going back a few thousand years, um, it was passed down generation through a generation, you know, so there's definitely elders there. And a lot of times the, the family takes the medicines together. You know, so what we know from psychedelics, they kind of boundary dissolving experiences. And many times they strengthen our relationships to ourselves, to 
our community, to the environment, to the planet, to the cosmos. And so it really helps heal like the fractured sense of connection that can happen between groups and societies. And so it definitely a rites of passage, but a lot of them start young. So the Mazatec tradition, you know, they start even at age five. You know, these are seen as medicines. And so we even know from our empirical evidence, the last 20 years of research here in the Western culture, that there's no real biotoxicity to psilocybin mushrooms. It creates a hyper-connected brain state and stimulates neurogenesis, the growth of new neurons. The brain physically begins to grow. A lot of the pathways stabilize. So pretty much it seems like very much they're catalysts for evolution, healing, inspiration. As you mentioned, there's shadow, you know, specifically that a really hard, difficult experiences like trauma can come up. So you need a very strong container. And in these traditions, because they've been developing these protocols for millennia, the container's pretty tight. There's a facilitator there that's inherited their wisdom through generations. They know the medicine and how to hold space so they can deal with the difficulties that arise. And you're, they have the right set and setting, meaning the right kind of mindset and the right kind of um, context for the experience where you're staying in this room, normally a dark room, lit by candlelight for six or seven hours. You're not going to run out to go hurt yourself. You know that you're going to be in here and you're held by a community. And the integration process, which a lot of us lack here, is a part of their system. You know, they have it, dialogues afterwards and you're embedded with an entire community that's very familiar with these experiences. So you can keep talking about it with each other. Here, if you have a psychedelic experience, likely if you go home, your family doesn't understand what happened. Your school doesn't, your community, the people around you. So you're really left alone. And we don't have the cosmology or context of how to interpret these experiences to really ground them. And that exists in a lot of these other traditions that we can learn from. Well, you brought up a lot of really important points there uh, and how people will explore these ideas. I remember when uh, mushrooms became a possibility in high school and how, you know, my friends and I may have experimented at those times. And it is very, very different than um, what you're speaking about now, right now, the culture, doing it with family, doing it with a facilitator, doing it with the right intent in mind, doing it right with the set and setting. It is a totally different experience. And then also, as you spoke about the integration, that's a total a different mindset shift than many of the Western, you know, younger adults or people will choose to experience one of these, um, you know, experiences or medicines or however you want to, or drugs, you know, depending on, on where you stand on that. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it, it's a totally different experience. And so can you share like a little bit, cause you, you did right there, like what are some of the um, ideal ways to experience it? One of the, some of the cautions yeah. you know, would that have you experienced? No, no, no. All of a sudden, I think a good place just to see what happened historically. And we lost so Michael Pollan and his, uh, you know, now bestseller, How to Change Your Mind, that came out to really kind of help let a whole bunch of people know about psychedelics. He says that the main downfall of the 1960s to counterculture was that they didn't have context or a container for these experiences. He says, what other point in human history did the young go through a, such a searing rite of passage that the prior generation didn't understand? So, you know, in the 1960s of the youth were taking these experiences and having these paradigm shifting effects and the parents had no idea what was going on and they reacted with fear, we quickly became illegal. Now we have the generations to grow from, we have them to base in a fundamental, you know, kind of like grounding of reality on and we see what's happened and that we've also outreached to other indigenous traditions. So we have a lot more grounding. I think the best set and setting, and this is coming from 20 years of being in contact with these medicines and a few hundred journeys myself is with a personal guide, meaning a trusted facilitator that you is brings more security and can help you kind of deepen into the experience. Um, the more you feel safe and surrendered, the more you can let go. 
So if you're with another human that's sort of like an integrity and trustworthy and knows it, you can surrender deeper and deeper and deeper. And you're less likely to get stuck in ruts. So a lot of people, if you journey by yourself or in the wrong set and setting, you can get into these kind of crisis points or sometimes move into trauma loop for like five hours. And with the right person there that lets you know you're safe and that you're calm and can bring connection, that can only that can take as much as like five minutes and now you can really move forward. So I think first and foremost, and that's a very different experience where it's like six hours just about you with one other person focusing on you. It's a very kind of special experience. After that, I'd recommend like a ceremony setting where it's just like 12 people and maybe a few facilitators. And we do that out there in Jamaica with Atman retreats and there's other places around the world. But now you're in a group vibe and you have the collective group experience and still the right kind of container, but it's not as personal in the sense of like you're hearing other people's noises and it's not as ideal for deep trauma work. Um, that being said, a lot of these things aren't accessible for a lot of people. So we're going to experiment by themselves or each other. And I think the recreational sense of festivals and with friends or concerts, especially with lower doses is helpful. But then we also have to bring in that there's some risks involved. You know, you can have a freak out at an event or a festival or have an existential crisis and not know what to do. So there's a lot of downfalls and pitfalls. And that being said, though, some of my best experience have been in that setting. But I, as a professional, I can't recommend it. But that being said, things like Burning Man or, or places that we've kind of really set up the structure into some harm reduction can be amazingly useful and help us feel more connected with humanity. Well, those are some uh, really good suggestions there because I've seen both of those worlds firsthand and, and the difference. And I've also seen how, um, like you just spoke about the harm reduction or having a community or having a guide can be very powerful because some of these experiences, when you go into that realm, it's not going to be positive. It's going to be very traumatic. It might be bringing up trauma, uh, you know, bringing up this whole universe that you wanted to shake out. And, you know, one of my friends, uh, you know, had that experience that he was telling me about a story about how, uh, you know, mushrooms changed his life. And it basically, he said, uh, they showed me how much of a piece of shit I was. <laughs> um, and then he actually, you know, really, really began to take his school seriously and, you know, was mm -hmm. able to kind of get through some of the things he was um, avoiding. So it ended up being a positive experience, but it, but it's mm -hmm. hard at that time. And so um, there's just some things that you really want to consider when, when taking these things, but when you have the facilitator, you have the guide, you have the intent, and then you're willing to do the work after, because even with um, quote unquote enlightenment or spiritual awakening, or like this massive aha moment, some people have, right. They go, Oh my goodness. I just had this massive uh, spiritual experience. Some people go do ayahuasca or mushrooms and they, Holy smokes, everything was so clear. Right. And you, you, when you're in it and you experience it, it's like, you know it for sure, but then you come back and you might be sitting there and then the next day goes by the next day, but goes by the next day goes by. You don't do anything. You know, you're yeah. kind of like, you have to take action at that point. You have to be able to integrate the thing you've learned. Otherwise, you know, you're kind of um, just not, you're not honoring the knowledge or the experience that you've received and you're just kind of shucking it away and you're still being irresponsible with it, which I feel is a, a really big and important tool. If you're going to take that kind of medicine, you have to be willing to then go deeper within yourself. Would you agree? Have you seen uh, oh, people absolutely. be able to integrate the medicine and, and then have you seen people be able to, um, you know, cause more harm essentially, where they get kind of get more fractal because they got the mm. idea, but they weren't able to kind of own up to the accountability of what they've learned. Yeah, no, listen. On a personal level, I haven't seen people really lose it and become more disintegrated. That being said, I've heard a lot of stories where that's happened. You know, so I've tended to be in communities that have been very more intentional and very more stronger in this area. Um, and so just to share, like the point of the experience isn't necessarily just to have the peak experience, it's to create a good life. 
right? You go into these states to download and to learn to come back and embody it. It's your day-to-day life that matters and the way you show up in the world, not just to have a euphoric feeling of connection. And as you've mentioned, there's no guarantee that it's going to be euphoric. I mean, maybe half the times it's going to be struggle. I've, I've had the best experiences of my life on psychedelics and I've had the hardest experiences of my life on psychedelics. But that pain, especially in the right kind of container, can be very transformative. Um, you know, I've, like you shared, like your friend was just like, realize how much of a piece of shit he is. I've definitely held space for a lot of people where they came to that same realization, uh, whether they're greedy or they're selfish and so on. And nobody outside could have told them that they would have believed it. They just got to look in the mirror and really see and come to terms with who they've been. And that really changes their life and allows them to move forward. And so I've talked to people that have done mushroom work compared to other psychedelics like LSD, which I love. But something I saw very different is people have done a lot of mushroom work. They're like, I feel solid. Like I come out as a solid individual focused and have more integrity, you know? So they're embodying these changes instead of just having these beautiful peak experiences. Yeah, I think those are all really great points. And with your work in particular, you know, how have you... I don't know if you've come across like the scientific data or some of the experiences. I know that they're working with, um, uh, oh geez, was it MDMA and therapy, you know, and getting mm-hmm. good results there. And I mm-hmm. think to speak to what you're doing with the containers and this and the type of people that are coming to, you know, having a, a, a medicine experience or some mushroom experience with you in that container, they're, they're doing it because they are motivated to change, right? Like you could like one way you could say, okay, I'm going to go get liposuction because I want to lose this weight, or I'm going to go to a trainer who is going to show me the way. Right. But uh, you know, I think mushrooms and ayahuasca and some of those medicines, they can show you the clear picture of like, you know, my friend, he's like, you know, I realized as a piece of crap, he just recognized all the ways that he was out of integrity, that he was harming his life through his own choices, through neglect, through ignorance, through all these different things for being selfish. Right. So it shows you that. Right. So if it's like a fitness example, it's like, yo, if you eat this Kentucky fried chicken all the time and you're just, and it just shows you from like a weird angle, how lazy you are, you know, and mm-hmm. all the chips you're eating or whatever. And that's like, okay, you know what, the next day, you know, how am I going to start changing this? Right. So obviously mm-hmm. some of my diet's got to change. And so, you know, when we're talking about spiritual matters, mental, emotional lifestyle patterns, these can be very challenging to change, but it, it shows you, it often shows you um, the solution in a very clear way, sometimes in a tough medicine way where it's like, it hurts because you're really seeing what, what actions you're doing and how you're harming yourself. But the intent to change is so important. The intent to want to shift your life, to take that realization and apply it to your life. That's really the key. And uh, one of my friends, uh, Michael Sanders wrote a book, um, ayahuasca i think the executive's guide to enlightenment then he actually only had his three experiences in um i can't remember where he went but somewhere down in the jungle and then that was enough for him he was able to kind of integrate but he did you know experiment with other things so um the question i kind of want to ask is to go back to the native american teachings because i'm so curious about the origins of where these come from and some Mm. of these cultures that have been using them for uh, you know, some time and have really an understanding of them. So when you talk about in your book, the, like the origins and maybe where these things came from and in, in use of the cultures, what have you discovered in that? Is this something mm-hmm. that's in multiple cultures and how it, how did it influence how they, you know, use them? You know, I've, I've heard some people say it's like a rite of passage, like when you're old enough, right? You don't drink alcohol until you're 19 and that doesn't really give you a spiritual awakening and probably give you more of a hangover, but things like this. Um, I didn't know enough about um, ayahuasca and, and 
in how they use it in their cultures, but I did know a little bit about how the shamans were chosen and how they uh, began to, you know, integrate that into their life. And it's a very sacred thing and it takes years of practice and dedication to even endure something like that. So I'm just curious Mm -hmm. if you can touch a little bit more on the, um, you know, the history of this and from the indigenous cultures or anywhere else you've come across it. Totally. Yeah. The, the origins of humanity's relationship with psilocybin was definitely the heart of my dissertation in the book. That's just now out. And I think a good context to understand is we have to really see what is the psilocybin mushroom. So psilocybin itself comes in the, we find it in the mushroom with the cap and stem formation, but the larger body of the fungi is mycelium. It's this large underground network that interconnects all the plants in the environment. And fungi has been around for about 2 billion years. It far goes back beyond the animal kingdom. Humanity itself evolved about, starting about 4 million years ago and more traditional humans about 100,000 years. So the whole time we've been evolving, there's this underground living network under us. And psilocybin itself evolved about 67 million years ago. So again, the psilocybin itself way before humanity. And the premise uh, first put forward by Terence and Dennis McKenna that I really expanded it on, that it was the actual cause of human evolution. So there's over 200 different species of psilocybin mushrooms around the world. It's the most common mushroom in the Africa savanna where it evolved. And for about 50 million years, our ancestors were primate species living up in the canopies of trees. Weather patterns begin to change causing the forest to recede and our ancestors came down to the ground and looking for new sources of food. They would have come across the psilocybin mushroom that are plentiful in the area and they grow a lot on the dung of animals. So once we started to follow cattle, it would have been constantly in our tracks. And at small doses, psilocybin increases visual acuity, more edge detection, we could see more clearly, at lightly higher doses, sexual arousal, more copulation. And at more doses, we know now that 67% of people, clinically we know this, with the right set setting, have a mystical experience. So this would have been available to our ancestors in the 4 million years where we evolved. Have a, have a what experience? Or sort of a mystical, of mystical experience. Mystical. Got a it. sense of unity, one with nature, one with themselves, one with the divine experience of voices and entities and so on. And so this gives a very grounded interpretation of why we evolved based on ecology, based on neuroscience, based on chemistry, based on diet. And we have cave paintings in Africa going back 10,000 years showing uh, mushrooms and shaman use of mushrooms going on in the caves. And so that happened likely in Africa and happy to go into it, I think is the most grounded explanation for the emergence of humanity is the symbiotic relationship with this fungi that we know now grows and interconnects the brain. Right. But the fungi, there's over 200 different species that grow all around the world. They're on every continent but Antarctica. So it's been at the roots of many mystical traditions. Even uh, the first religious um, writings is the Rig Veda that inspired the Hindu tradition. And there's over 120 hymns in the Rig Veda to talk about soma, psychedelic plant or fungi that connect one with God. And we know uh, Kaikion, which is part of the Eleusinian mysteries in the Greece. So for a thousand years, they had these mystery traditions in Greece where they drink a psychedelic brew. You know, and then once we come over here to the West, we know North, Central, South America, psychedelics are plentiful. There's over 50 species of Mexico alone. Um, once the Europeans had come about 500 years ago, the clergy wrote of massive mushroom use happening with the Aztec Empire. The Mayans left over 200 different uh, mushroom stones. So this is based all around the world. There's still tribes, indigenous tribes in Asia and throughout the Americas that still have been using mushrooms. It's only us in the West that are now becoming our culture more aware of it, uh, thanks to uh, an article published in 1957 by Gordon Wasson, of anchor, who went down to visit the Mazatecs in Mexico, took a psilocybin ceremony experience, and published it in Life magazine. And that's how our culture became aware of it. And it really kind of helped spur the 1960 psychedelic revolution. 
Um, so it's new to our consciousness, but these are ancient. They've been here far before humanity. They're part of prehistoric cultures. And I think at, they're really at the roots, you know, of what's created our, our level of degree of cognitive consciousness. Holy smokes. Well, you open up a whole bag of worms that I'm very curious about. So I want to dive yeah, in. Yeah. Um, so are you speaking about, I'm going to throw a lot at you. So pick away what you yeah. want. Um, so it sounds like a little bit about the stoned ape theory, right? Like we're right. apes. And then uh, the influence of uh, mushrooms mm -hmm. or psychedelics was a catalyst to change our consciousness. So that's a very, very fascinating um, mm -hmm. theory. And then you're going into the cave paintings and talking about how mm -hmm. there was some art there that's showing and I don't know about this, so maybe you can kind of go a little bit more. Um, but yeah. I'm also curious about these uh, religious aspects and how, you know, you talk mm -hmm. about in the book, how it might have influenced or was a part of these religious teachings or it's in their book. So one of them that I'm familiar with is the acacia plant that's in the Bible and the mm -hmm. acacia plant. I, I, I'm pretty sure if my memory serves me correctly. So anything I say on this podcast, always double check. because I hear so much stuff. So got to go uh, confirm it, but I'm, I believe the acacia plant um, has DMT in it. Are you aware? Is that, is that true? I'm not familiar. There's over 2000 plants that have DMT in it, but oh, so there's okay. likely well, there's there's in like all plants and animals, but I, I think uh, that, yeah, there, there's a way to experience the, the DMT result or, or like the mushroom experience, like, so to speak. So um, uh -huh. it does, it does seem to have those influences in the Bible. So is that what you come across? Like when you're talking about these spiritual uh, traditions, are you seeing references mm -hmm. to them using it in some sort of way or, or yeah. Um, yeah. How do you see that? Yeah. I mean, there's plenty of, there's a, there's a great book by Paul Devereaux, the prehistoric kind of use of, of, of psychedelics throughout culture. I think he has a hundred different, different like, um, points of reference, even showing all the paintings. And so psychedelics in general eating a plant doesn't require any tools really so it's really a lot of times the art that they've left behind that we really have points of inference that being said throughout the the, the earth i mean we have mushroom stones we have relics on cave painting walls um and more and more historians are coming to the point of like these played a ma massive role in in the history of humanity um i'll focus right now on the cave arts and, and, and kind of kind of create why this kind of all ties in together. So there's a great cognitive archaeologist, David Lewis Williams, worked a lot in the 70s and 80s, and the world renowned won a lot of awards. And he, for decades, he studied cave art, specifically mostly in Europe and Africa. And he really came and deduced those altered states of consciousness that created the emergence of art. Cave art's important because, as Yuval Nohari points out in his book, Sapiens, at the same time that cave art evolved, tools evolved. So there's some kind of creativity that sparked in humanity that really kind of helped flourish like our, the way we kind of showed up in the environment. And the cave gave a lot of safe space to have these psychedelic uses. One, there's only one entrance. It's dark during the day. Um, there's safety from the weather and other animals. And so the shaman would bring people in the cave. They would take psychedelics. And with a decent dose of psychedelics, especially in the dark, you kind of project these visualizations onto the environment. Then simply all you have to do is trace what you're seeing onto the wall. It gives a really grounded explanation for the emergence of art. And the first cave arts have mostly it's a lot of geometry and the later kind of human animal hybrids. And this is all around the world. And geometry is one of the first thing you see when you start taking like a deep dose of psychedelics. So again, this is the sacred geometry arising in the field. And there's a lot of visitations of animals. And so we have the emergence of art that also probably led to the emergence of tools and so on. So just to clarify, yes, I'm talking what's been known as the stoned ape theory, but I, I haven't been fan of the word stoned because what's happening isn't you're not turning the stone. It's just quite expansive, quite imaginative, um, quite intellectually and emotionally and spiritually thrilling. You know, so it's not quite somebody like sitting there like kind of high. It's more like, oh my God, I'm in awe. 
that happened over and over and kind of led us to develop rituals and myth um, within our culture and our species. Yeah, I, I agree with that distinction. Uh, that's how I've always experienced them. It's not been, uh, you know, like in your case, yeah, stoned is like the adolescent term for it, but it's it's much more mature in experience. And I feel like it's something that if you can learn to navigate and go in with the right intent, um, it can be incredibly useful and beneficial in the ways that you said set and setting and, cont- and container and all those uh, facets to it. So, you know, again, you brought up a lot of great points because this is such a deep topic and it's becoming more uh, prevalent now today, right? A lot more people are experimenting. A lot more people are trying. They're looking for uh, an evolution, so to speak, and a breakthrough in their own mind and their own psyche. And when we live in a very challenging world, and we also live in a world that um, is very uh, programmed, you know, every, everything out there is vying for your attention, is trying to influence you in some sort of way. And psychedelics have this a very powerful way of kind of snapping all of that and creating this very unique experience that's outside of that. It almost resets your mental and emotional container in a very real and powerful way that's unique for you. So it does come with a a great deal of power. Um, So I feel like, you know, (laughs) the Spider-Man quote, you know, the, with great power comes great responsibility. Mm -hmm. Um, When you talk about in your book, either peak experiences and consciousness medicine, um, how do you kind of define those two terms? Because, you know, our medical world, I'm not a big fan of that. When I look into pharma and pharmaceuticals and see how, you know, a lot of them, it's just like putting a bandaid on that can cause other issues. It's not really healing the root. Um, And so if we're looking for real healing, whether it's mental, emotional, or spiritual, or otherwise, we want to get it from the earth, you know, and I like how these, you know, come from the earth. It is a product of, you know, our planet and our ecosystem. So can we learn how to integrate that? So when you, you know, speak about peak experiences or consciousness medicine, I know they're a little bit different. Uh, Can you Mm -hmm. elaborate on that a little bit? Totally. You know, all living systems strive towards a sense of wholeness and are self-organizing. So like if your body is hurt, or there's an arm broken, or there's a cut, there's a sense of wholeness that wants to happen. Your body wants to maintain integrity of its form. Right. And so like you're going to cut in your arm, you have to sit there and concentrate on it and heal. It kind of self-organizes and heals on its own. Your psyche is trying to do the same thing. It's always trying to come to a sense of resolution and heal, come towards a sense of wholeness. And it happens to be that uh, psychedelics catalyze this process. So there's a great researcher, Stanislav Grof. Um, for 60 years, he worked in this field and helped found the field of transpersonal psychology. And he worked with over 50,000 people in expanded states of consciousness. And he deduced that what psychedelics do is they call, catalyze holotropic states, states that organically move towards wholeness. So given the right setting and a decent amount of some of these compounds, we'll stay with psilocybin right now, a person's experience self-organizes and what needs to come up in that moment does. The psyche is trying to heal itself and become whole. So as long as there's a sense of love and safety and okayness, it kind of happens by itself. And I would say it's it's the lack of wholeness that has us feeling kind of fractured, alone, rejected, isolated, disconnected from ourselves and from humanity and from the planet, right? So this movement towards wholeness is, is deeply healing and healing, healing, holy and wholeness all share a very similar root in, in terms of the words. It's all movement towards that direction. Um, I think the main psychedelic impulse, and I think it's the main impulse in life, is, is towards a sense of unity. Right. And so there's a sense of oneness in my being embodied, but also oneness with the planet, one with the oneness with the universe. And even with love, we're trying to find oneness with each other. So there's a sense of I want to become part of a larger whole, also maintaining my individuality. And this boundary dissolving effects that psychedelics have really deeply help happen that healing us 
you know, physically with the neuroscience, we know that it creates a new neurological formation, heals depression, it heals us emotionally, your sense of feeling fractured and disconnected. And intellectually, I mean, I've never learned more than I have on psychedelics. You know, and spiritually kind of come in terms with our, our spiritual identity. And for me, that kind of grounds in a deep sense of oneness. Amazing. <laughs> I don't even know what to say to that. I'm just going to go to another question. I, I yeah. agree with, with those experiences because when you, you know, you can say the words and I relate to what you're saying because I've experienced it directly, right? When you talk about mm -hmm. a state of oneness or wholeness or, um, you know, Alan Watts, I think articulates these states somewhat better than anyone, even though I think he was coming from, I don't know if he explored with psychedelics, if anybody he did. He did yeah. He did, he did, yeah. So, you know, he, he's able to articulate them in very powerful ways, right? It's like, there's no words to express when you go beyond the consciousness that we're given, which is essentially <laughs> what it can do in a very direct experience. And so that is a very powerful thing. And in your book, you talk about something called the mycelial mind. And mm. I'm curious how you, or what you believe about bringing in uh, psychedelic medicines or psychedelic experiences into our culture, how do you think that can benefit, improve the individual in our culture? Tremendously. I've seen one, I know for myself, my life changed overnight at 18. I was very lucky to have the experience, but also I was very depressed, atheist and suicidal. Right. And so this kind of flip switch of like everything at the deep essence is love and we're all interconnected and experience that on a deep level had transformative impacts in my life. I'm still integrating that experience 20 years later. And I've been fortunate to hold space for a lot of individuals that almost half the time, a single session with the right set and setting and meaning dose and preparation integration where one session transforms a life dramatically. You know, I've helped and seen a lot of people that were previously suicidal that exchange or their families become better. They become, become more better in their occupations They become more creative. There's a greater sense of self-esteem. And so it's something that I've seen happen quite, quite a bit. But just look at the neuroscience, for example, um, depression when looking at the brain is the dendrites and neurons this part between the neurons have atrophy and so the parts of the brain become more isolated and so the person also feels more isolated and what happens is those dendrites come back to life with psilocybin we only know this research for the last 10 years we've finally been putting people under mris with psilocybin so we know that actually physically begins to heal the brain but something else i've also seen is that people well, now, sorry, at the core of depression, what I've seen, because that's the reason most people come in, like 70% of people in depression. And depression is a wounded sense of self-esteem. I don't like myself. You know, things have happened in life, and I've gotten this image and this identity of who I am, either from my parents or from my culture, and the sense of I'm not enough. And if you don't like yourself and you're forced to be yourself, existence is very painful. And this quickly, as you mentioned before, kind of deconditions us. And deconditions are social constructs of reality, but also ourselves. And we're kind of have this clean look at our identity and who we are. You know, this barrier, the story of who I am and what reality is dissolves for a moment. And something deeper shines through, you know, and I think underneath it is that we're love, you know, or we're one. And so this person is able to experience and see the stories that they created that weren't true, they're causing fame, fall away, and really almost reparent themselves, you know, be kind of come like, hey, I am good. I am okay. I am enough. And these small beliefs are gigantic. They shift in the entire person's life. And so that sometimes happens overnight. And, so, you know, we can't say that for everybody. Some people, um, it takes several sessions. And there's might be some people, it, it'll never work, and they just need some other method. But we do know now through 20 years of clinical studies that 80% of people that were had uh, clinical treatment-resistant depression, meaning they've tried all the other modalities, all the therapy and all the medicines, 80% of those that nothing worked for, psilocybin does work for right? There's still 20% that just it hasn't, but 80% is a lot for a population that they've already tried everything for. Yeah. 
Yeah, hundred percent. You know, that's if if you're using the tools that we have available, they're not working. And then you're getting that high a percentage. Obviously there is something to it and it's worth investigating uh, mm-hmm. on a deeper level. And so, especially when you look into um, just the pharmaceuticals in general, a lot of the time it's, it's a, like a lifetime subscription, right? Yep. It's not like, you know, you go on the antidepressants, you get the kids ADHD, which is absurd because you know, what adult can sit there and listen to, you know, six hours or something they're bored of right then alone a kid right they want to go outside and play yeah. and be kids so you know we drug them up and that leads to the next thing and the next thing you know we want to mm-hmm. find real lasting solutions that improve the quality of our life uh the meaning of our relationships and heal these old wounds that we might have from from past traumas or 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 soul, uh conditioning wherever they might come from so if this is a real uh way for us to find solutions 80 percent is a massive yeah number. And so, like you said, you're, we're growing in the studies and the neuroscience and all these other tools. What's most exciting for you or most promising that you've seen Mm -hmm. that can um, integrate these tools into whether uh, an option for somebody to heal an option for somebody to grow an option for somebody to experience in a meaningful way. Yeah. I think the social movements taking place systemically right now from your probably the most exciting meaning we're moving towards legalization. Uh, it's projected federal legalization across the U.S. in 2023. That's just a year away. So that's going to be massive where physicians can actually prescribe psilocybin with the right set and setting, meaning we're working with a trained phys- uh, individual in, in the right kind of container. At the same time, that's been happening at the large federal level people have been moving towards decriminalization on the local level, right? So across here in Oakland, we worked and we decriminalized psilocybin mushrooms. It's now also legalized in Oregon and many other uh, cities here have decriminalized it. Meaning now people can grow these medicines and engage with that without the threat of being put in jail. We can now offer more education and more resources. So these medicines don't cost much, right? You can take a mushroom growing class, mycorrhizea.com as one, and it's, it's like a hundred bucks. You can learn how to grow it. It costs like 150 for the supply. And with that amount of investment, you can have a lifetime of mushroom, right? So it, it doesn't cost much, but we, we're lacking is education and trained individuals. And so I think as the stigma changes, specifically with legalization, you know, so there's half the population has this kind of conventional ethics that just because something illegal, they won't do it. That's just, that's our reality. And that's okay. You know, when we do this work legally in Jamaica, we're pretty much getting people that they wouldn't do anything, do it any other way unless they were doing it legally, you know, and, and cause in their identity, this is what it means to be a good person. And they're also scared. They're scared of getting caught. So as legalization shifts, just like as I did with marijuana, it'll drastically change our approach towards it. So these medicines are generally widely available. They grow everywhere. Why aren't we doing it? We're lacking awareness. We're lacking education and we're lacking acceptance. Right. And so that's going to shift a lot in the next just year and in the next five years. And so once it's legalized, you're likely going to have psychedelic psychotherapy clinics in every town across the Western hemisphere. Absolutely. You know, across the, the developed world, because they have been shown to be the most effective methods for healing and transformation. And I'm a big fan of all the forms of therapy. It's just, they don't come close um, a lot of our wounding is pre-verbal. You know, this goes to the deep, deep layers um, than, than just talk therapy does. And, you know, as I mean, as I mentioned, I love therapy, but it's uh, this creates a, that organic holotropic states of self-organized, you know. So because it's effectiveness and held in the right way, it, it's, it's going to sweep across the world. Um, part of the problems is like the pharmaceutical companies, as you've been mentioning, that seem to be a focus a lot more on money. You know, too many of my clients, they've been non-SSRIs for 20 years, 
right? It is that just numbs them out. They get a lot of money and it's a lifetime thing. And just since one experience can possibly heal, you know, it might take a few more, but it's, it's a huge, you say, creates a lot of tension between the people that can make billions or even just microdosing small amount of mushrooms a day, you know, which is relatively safe, I think is a lot healthier than taking an SSRI for the rest of your life and being numbed out. So there's many approaches to go. And I think the greatest roadblock is really just changing the stigma and educating people. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. And I feel like uh, mushrooms or uh, ayahuasca or um, maybe other experiences can be a very powerful mental reset where all of that old conditioning of your um, pharmaceutical you know, drugs that you're taking or again, those deeper wounds are, are deeper core issues that you need to deal with to make the change that you need to feel better. Um, it can mm-hmm. really, you can see it in an unbelievably powerful way that could create change in one session. It could cause you to reevaluate everything. It kind of like has this power to um, reset. You mm-hmm. know, I feel like it has that power to reset. So, you know, with that said, I, I'm sure with all the experiences you've had, you've had the mystical, mystical experiences. Like it's almost like, um, you know, God consciousness or something beyond that's, that's indescribable and it's very, very powerful and it feels very loving. It also could be, you know, you can go to the very challenging times, but on the flip side of that, it's a, a very loving experience. So what's your view? I'm curious on just consciousness, because I feel like most people believe that consciousness is a state of mind that they're in, right? A lot of people, mm-hmm. I think, have a task list consciousness, right? And then mm-hmm. they can just, you know, they think, oh, this is it. And we're often invited to just have this materialist reductionist view of the mm-hmm. world. It's like everything is just material. There's no spirit to anything. Um, mm-hmm. It's all kind of pointless and meaningless. And so when we move into these experiences, it definitely changes your view on what consciousness is. So I'd be curious, and I'm going to throw lots of stuff I'm thinking. So just great. Which uh, consciousness, uh, mm-hmm. God, creator, or the great spirit. And I'm curious what your uh, indigenous mm-hmm. teachers would talk about that kind of force. And then in that world, we've got these idea of like disincarnated entities and, and all these mm-hmm. other forces. So the caution there is, are you opening up to that kind of realm that you may or may not know how to play with? So that's a whole lot of things to throw at you. But those are, those are the deep questions that if you have an experience, you're probably going to start asking. Mm-hmm. But I believe that, you know, each individual, if, if they are alive, they should be questioning these things what what is life what is my relationship to everything mm-hmm. what what is god you know like what is creation what's mm-hmm. connecting everything here how was all this formed you know these are very mm-hmm. interesting questions you know you just go about your day and go grab a coffee mm-hmm. and not you know really contemplate these big massive questions in life and i think that's something mm-hmm. that psychedelics really invite you to do yeah totally you know i don't think anybody right now I think well-educated would argue against things that the world's interconnected, especially when it comes to physiological processes. You know, uh, I studied physics for three years and um, a deep sense particles are entangled. They're really deeply connected, you know, on the physical level. And where we look at biologically, your whole system of bodies deeply interconnected. It's like there's like 37 trillion cells are creating this one being. And we zoom out to ecology. We know that entire ecosystems are, are deeply interconnected with, with gases and temperatures and, and the food web and so on. Uh, same with our solar system and the rest of the universe, right? So there's deep sense of physical interconnection, but that's also happens internally. Our consciousness is deeply interconnected with the entire cosmos. We can also just start smaller, just with all the earth, 
right? So internally, there's a part of you that has this deep sense of interconnection, aware or not, just like these processes are happening within your body and the planet, whether you're aware of it or not, same with your consciousness. Uh, Carl Jung, the deaf psychologist, really kind of put forward that there's a collective unconscious that we draw our dreams and experiences from, that there's this large container of mind that we share. Uh, whether you go deep states of meditation, what more traditional methods, they also dissolve there's these deep states of oneness. So the Hindus have this idea of Brahman, there's just one large dream, and we're all the same actors, we're the same being called Atma within this large dream. You know, there's the Tao over there, you know, with Taoism, that's an intelligent guiding force that we're all a part of. And so what happens when we take psychedelics, it's not so much different than dreams, except we're really conscious. We're kind of dissolving into this larger mind, this darker, larger sense of intuition and guidance and visions. And so in that sense, we are uniting with God, which is this large unitive collective intelligence, this one mind. You know, that's also like the same way cells within your body, they're individual cells, but they grow out of this larger network, this larger body. They don't exist alone. That's actually this larger body that forms these little beings. It's the same within the planet and within God. It's just like that larger consciousness gives birth to your consciousness. And also this planet gives birth to your body. So we're part of this larger system. Um, There's a professor, Richard Doyle, who wrote this book, Darwin's Pharmacy, Sex, Plants, and Evolution in the Noosphere. And for his research, he read thousands of reports. And he realized that the main psychedelic insight is that the participant realizes they're part of a vast interconnected living system. And they should be returned ecodelics. They create ecological consciousness, like awareness of our context. And so they kind of help us realize that we are part of something much larger, which is humbling, it helps feel us more secure, a deep sense of belonging, a deep sense of connection. It meets most of our emotional and psychological needs and deeply spiritual, you know, and I think a lot of times when people have these experiences, then they're moved to help others because we are part of each other. We're part of the same world. I'm going to find deeper fulfillment once I have enough for myself to be of service and help other people. That's a beautiful answer. And I, I agree with that idea that when people do come to these conclusions that they are interconnected, right? And then there are is a great spiritual force at work that is very real. Uh, they can integrate with that. And, and it takes a level of unconsciousness not to integrate into that, to do things that harm your world around you, to do things that harm your fellow man um, and the environment. And I love when the uh, Native American teachers that I've had would just talk about, you know, all my relations, right? To everything it's not just the people it's to the plants it's to the animals to the in every there's nothing in the relationship of what is that is excluded to the butterflies and so that's a very different view on how to navigate uh this life and this existence and you know for your from your experience i'm sure this has led to a lot of the work where people are going to more uh life and more purpose right because they stop mm-hmm. to do things unconsciously and i feel like we're just being led to work and to make money and to kind of follow this a very strict pattern given to us by our educators and our media and the world. And what psychedelics do is they kind of shatter that and say, Hey, mm-hmm. who, who are you really? What do you really mm-hmm. want to do? How do you want to engage mm-hmm. with your life and your spirit and your will in this reality? And so from working with all these different people, once they heal, what's your view on uh, making progress and designing a life that has mm-hmm. meaning like God, you know, if you've come across things like, you know, guides for living a fulfilling life where I feel like it is a balance of creating a life that's authentic to you um, mm-hmm. with this um, side of surrendering to what is, because mm-hmm. it's not always perfect. There's a lot of challenges here, but we do want to mm-hmm. make something meaningful. And I'd be curious for you to speak on those ideas. Totally, totally. You know, a couple of things and maybe just to focus right now, because it kind of does decondition us and like the kind of programming that we're in. 
There's a good book called Animals and Psychedelics by Giorgio Saramani. He's an Italian ethnobotanist. And it really kind of breaks down there's just animals entire, across the entire kingdom that eat psychedelics. And he proposes that largely because they act as deconditioning agents, like animals, just like us, kind of follow their programs. And for moments during those times that they take psychedelics, the program kind of shifts and it gives them space for new patterns to emerge. So there's quite evolutionary benefits. And us as more largely conscious beings, more aware and more complex, it can really shift our programming. You know, why am I doing the same thing every day that makes me feel like shit? Why am I in this relationship or why am I going to work to make somebody else money and I'm giving up my precious life? So I've seen a lot of people wake up and, and leave even jobs. I mean, I've worked with people that have started amazing, um, very successful companies, you know, over 20 years in Silicon Valley and decide to leave because they're like, well, I did that for money because that's what I, I was told I have, I'm supposed to live for. And yet it's so hollow and deeply unfulfilling, but, I, but I'm winning the game, right? And so that game ends for them. And it, it turns out at the end of the day, it's about meaning. Meaning generally is being love, which is helping other people. That's what's going to matter when you die, you know, and, and, and helping people has many ranges, you know, at least first and foremost, loving yourself and good yourself, maybe your community, your family members, your partners, your kids, and then also expanding on to your culture, to society, to the planet. You know, again, if we are one being, it's, it's the way we kind of show up and that that's really going to matter. The money you made doesn't matter at the end of the day. Money is very helpful and useful, but it's, it's a means to the end. And, and the end is, is of having a much more uh, meaningful life. So I know it's done that for me by lots, and I've seen it do it for a tremendous amount of people. And I think that's just going to continue to expand. You know, it kind of just really wakes up, wakes you up to what's important. Not that you think is important, but so like kind of opens this light bulb inside of like, wow, this is what really matters, especially before I die. Yeah, that's that's beautiful and well said. And, and you know, that question of what's truly important to me, right? And when you look at people who are, uh, older and they're ready to pass on the other side, they do speak about regrets, right? And it's never about, um, you know, having enough money. It's about not pursuing the things that were near and dear to them, selling yeah. out their soul in another way. And, you yeah. know, the psychedelic experience, or even, you know, it doesn't have to be psychedelics. Like uh, mm-hmm. um, I told you at the beginning of the show, I've kind of like revisiting everything because psychedelics have been uh, beneficial in my life. You know, ayahuasca and mushrooms were definitely uh, eye openers and valuable experiences uh, for my life. And I do believe in kind of like the spiritual experience. And um, when you go down the rabbit holes and say uh, meditation or self-inquiry or, you know, your relationship to God, whatever that is, um, you can also get great benefit there. And so when I was more on that path, um, you know, I was like, okay, well, you could pray intently with your will to, you know, have this experience from the creator that will guide you. And I feel like that's a very possible route. And then also this is a route too. Right. They both they both exist, but it really matters your intent and your will to know yourself to start asking these big questions, because when you are going to pass to the other side, the reason why people have so much regret is they didn't ask those questions. They didn't have a relationship with themselves to what their own values were, what what they truly wanted to do. And they started to compromise their soul little by little. They just kind of erode. Um, their lives by compromising a little bit by a little bit and the psychedelic experience and sometimes, um, you know, spiritual awakenings or however it might come will show you that in in a very powerful way that you don't need to think your way into this decision. It's like, holy, I have to let go of all this security and what I thought I want to then boldly go in the direction that I'm being called to my soul and my spirit. And that's, that's incredibly powerful. And I feel like, you know, psychedelics I've seen do that for people where they were unable to do it for themselves. And so, you know, all your, your points are are really um, 
Uh, well, I, say, I'm, I didn't want to say on point, but I couldn't figure out anything else. So great. Your, your on points, point's great. Oh, your yeah. points were, uh, were on point. And so, yeah. you know, with your book, what's uh, your hope with the book? Like, what, what would you like to see in, come mm. from your book and also the research into uh, psychedelic-assisted therapies? Yeah, thanks. The book covers a lot. Uh, it's fairly comprehensive. You know, the first chapter really goes into the peak experiences and then the way these transform lives, all based on, on clinical research and science, and then the brief history. Then I kind of bring in this integral approach, you know, that consciousness pervades all of reality and also evolves. Then the deep ecology of how they develop, and that really kind of satisfies the questions, how and why do psychedelics even exist? Then I go back into the deep history of humanity of how this impacted our ancestors. And for me, that's really important because it kind of shifts our identity of what it means to be human, of how do we got here? You know, if we are in deep symbiosis, this deep sense of connection and evolution with the plant world, you know, and the fungi kingdom, that says a lot. I mean, plants for themselves already create a lot of our oxygen. They create our food, you know, even if you had animals, you know, plant-based, but even if you had animals, they derive it from from uh, from plants. So then could there be plants and therefore fungi that also increase our intelligence and our sense of spirituality? I mean, they're already creating your body on a deep level. Plants turn sunlight into, into matter. And then we have to see a fungi's relationship to plants. They interconnect all the plants and ecosystem. 90% of plants have a symbiotic relationship to mycelium, to fungi. 80% of plants would stop existing if fungi stopped existing, right? So they're pretty much holding it all fucking together underground for us to creating the soil, right? And so once we get to see that that's a big part of our history and our identity, maybe, you know, we can see them very differently and come back into a relationship with them. And in doing so, open up our creativity, our empathy, our sense of spiritual identity, um, create a sense of unification and kind of break out of the stalemate that we're in with our ecological crisis, economic, and also between governments, you know, like that you're far more than a citizen to a country. You're a citizen of this planet. You know, you're an earthling here and you're deeply interwoven. And even that, that, that perspective is so much more healing than being the smaller co social construct. You know, you're, you're, you're a part of a much larger evolutionary process. And so that we can be um, in loyalty to that instead of whatever small particular story that we're kind of wrapped up in. And so for me, that, that shift in identity and kind of reclaiming our history is a huge breakthrough. And the next few chapters in the book is, is kind of breaking down, given how it's changed art, science, philosophy, um, how might it continue to change culture as we move forward? Beautiful. Well, I love that idea. I think that's so important. It's just understanding that you're uh, part of an integrated whole and you need to be very selfish to, to uh, commit harm to others or do that, uh, you know, through a system. And we have a lot of systems in here that don't, do not create health, healing, love, harmony, community, uh, and growth for all. If anything, it's, it's really a captive system of like, you know, this is mine. And if I have it, you can't have none. And it's this idea that uh, there isn't enough, that we don't live in a world of abundance, that that, uh, you know, it's for myself and not, um, you know, what I can do for other people because, you know, they're, they're night and day different um, mentalities and there is an abundance here. We have enough for everyone if we're not trying to control mm -hmm. everything. And there is a greater force at work beyond the human mind. And, you know, psychedelics kind of show you that. And I remember myself and a lot of people just loving the idea for all these world leaders to, you know, be forced to do an ayahuasca ceremony together for a week. It would just kind of solve mm -hmm. all these problems because they would go, it's, it's beyond thinking into knowing <laughs> into direct experience. That's incredibly powerful. And so there is a lot of value to that in itself. And uh, you know, it's good that you're setting up these containers for people to do it the right way, because by yourself, it could end up causing a little bit more problems. Um, you mm -hmm. might not know how to integrate it. You might not understand it. You know, I can't, 
can't even tell you how many people that I speak to reach out to me who want to do some coaching or a little bit of work together who say that, you know, they can't relate to anyone about anything. And they're just talking about little tiny basic questions, not even like, mm. you know, groundbreaking stuff that can really shatter mm. your whole experience. And if you viewed the world one way, right, a neurolinguistic program, and they call it the mental map, your mental map of the world, your experiences, your values, all this kind of stuff and how you navigate the world. If you shatter that, uh, it can be very discombobulating. You know, you don't you have no grounding because you mm. thought that this was a solid ground and now it's not it's it's something totally different so that can mm. be a little bit traumatizing so having community uh you know mm -hmm. support is is so critical if you want to go down this road so i'm glad that that's the container and the research mm -hmm. uh that you're you're bringing into this with mm -hmm. the indigenous cultures and their experiences is incredibly valuable so um i could probably talk to you all day about this i could probably mm. talk to you about it all week if we were going to go do a sure. mushrooms yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. um i'd love for you to just uh share is there anything that you wish that i'd asked or is there anything that you want to bring mm. up before we close this show no, I feel like we, we've covered a lot. I really enjoyed your questions, your perspectives, your backgrounds, your stories, the energy, the engagement. It's been great. Um, the last thing to share is, you know, the book just came out this last week, uh, April 5th. It's across all major platforms. It's on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Target, pretty much anywhere you can buy books online. And it's called The Psilocybin Connection, Psychedelics to Transformation of Consciousness and Evolution of the Planet, an Integral Approach. Uh, five years of just deep work on that, but it was 20 years of like research, like, well, I'd be growing with this. So um, definitely the most comprehensive uh, on the topic. So, you know, please, you know, get it. If you like it, share it. it. It means a lot to me. It's kind of how I've devoted myself to be a service. It's the best way I found possible is, is to, as much as I love holding space for people, like I think the world at large really needs to be aware, you know, the medicines, the science and the impact this can potentially have on them. Yeah, I love that. I'm going to throw one more question I asked before, but yeah. there, what's your definition of consciousness? How do we, yeah. you know, when I, when I was thinking about enlightenment, when I was younger, I thought I was going to go to another state. How did I break out of this? Now I was able to experience another consciousness through lucid dreaming because that's yeah. not a regular consciousness. Right. And so mm -hmm. then I had a, you know, kind of an awakening or God experience or whatever you want to call that. That was a whole nother thing, but it always sets me back to this kind of like default setting, but I am aware of these other realms or vibrations or experiences right? That people kind of loosely define as consciousness. So I'd be curious your definition of that. Yeah, we're definitely, it's a problem with language. And uh, Terrence McKenna, from a hair philosopher, really says that our collective evolution is really held back by the development of language, by the evolution. Like we just haven't evolved enough language to really be crystal clear in all these state experiences, right? And so I got my master's in consciousness transformative studies, JFK. Then I got my doctor's philosophy, cosmology, consciousness at CIS. And during all this time, you know, we're, I'm focusing on this word and even looking up the definition. If you look at the last time I looked up in a dictionary, there's seven different definitions, each meaning a different thing. So we're using this word that seems vague to describe so many different parts. It could be our attention. It could be my personal consciousness. It could be universal consciousness. There's degrees of consciousness, you know. So there's, there's so many ways to use this word. And I hope that we start to use more specific words for each, you know? So it really, it really goes to show words really grow in the context. We have to know the context in which we're using that word. 
for me, the largest context is that there is one large consciousness that is the universe, right? So there, there's one large fabric of reality that is sentient, and, and we grow out of that. That being said, you're also an individual self, and you have your own consciousness, right? And then while also having your own consciousness, there's so many states in consciousness, like degrees. There's times where you're more lucid than others. You know, there's times where you're half asleep and dreaming. You know, alcohol gives you a particular kind of more downer kind of state. And there's other, like psychedelics, almost make you more sensitive, like more awake. And so you're really heights and sight, smell, taste, and touch, and then imagination. And then there's realms of consciousness that are super visionary, archetypal, deity. There's a you know, connection with deep like entities. And then there's seems a consciousness where you kind of like 5-MeO-DMT and others through meditation where you kind of just dissolve into white light and you're one with the universe and God, right? So there's so many degrees of this one being, this large spectrum of consciousness, so many stages and levels of it. Um, so it's always fluctuating. You know, so it's it's a very and it's a broad definition because we're all talking about different particular things. You know, so even just presence is consciousness, and that can be very different than like a God state of consciousness. So it's a I think we haven't developed a particular definition. It's more according to like what we're pointing to. The words just point to things, so it just depends which one we're pointing to. Well, I'm very glad I, I asked that yeah. question. I love the answer. Yeah. It reminds me of uh, one of my Native American teachers telling me that uh, they had like 30 words for snow or something, you know, <laughs> yeah, we, we need to, right? Yeah, you know, yeah, and, yeah. and even different words for rain and, you know, cause it was not the same, right. You have this crazy, you know, downpour, or you have this, you know, crazy snow, and then you got the lighter snow. So the fact that they had that, you know, just kind of shows that, that there is a distinction, you know, what mm-hmm. exactly do you mean and how can we evolve that? So it starts with the thought um, and then the inquiry, the contemplation, the trial and error, right. And then we can express those things and invite people to that experience. So uh, I love it. Thank you so much for writing the book and the work that you do. Mm-hmm. If people want to check it out, your website, your book, where should they go? What's the website? Yes, a website is uh, psychedelicevolution.org. You can definitely find talks, access to the book writings, and the book itself, uh, Amazon, uh, Barnes and Nobles, any online store. We'll, we'll give it to you. Penguin Random House is the distributor, and North Atlantic Books is the publisher. So easy to find online. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show. Best of luck with your book, and uh, we'll see mm-hmm. you again. So honored. Thank you. Right, take care. See you guys. You too. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen, the absolutely amazing Jahan Hamsazadeh. I hope that I'm pronouncing that right. Um, I love this show. You know, I feel like it was grounded. It explored some controversial topics, but I know a lot of people have had great benefit using uh, some alternative medicine, some alternative healing. So we really did run the gauntlet here on just kind of understanding psilocybin and understanding the importance. If you are going to use it as a tool, what are some of the other important elements to exploring with this type of experience or medicine or therapy or whatever you want to categorize that. So thank you guys for listening to the show and supporting. Um, if you want to become a member, just go to mattbelair.com. You can do so for free or by donation. There is exclusive content over there. Um, there is a lull in production here because I'm doing a lot of stuff around the house. We are getting ready to move locations, so it is a ton of work. So uh, if there's a little bit of a lag, that's what's going on uh, in the home life. So um, just reach out anytime if I can be of help to you guys i'm a little bit scattered because the house is just you know uh flooring and just stuff misplaced everywhere so uh we're we're adapting and we're doing some things for our family that we hope will be uh beneficial for our daughter and for our lives so that's what's going on over here i hope that you're doing well and let's just come into a state of peace and coherence before we close this show wherever you are in the world just stop what you're doing take in a deep breath in through your nose hold that breath 
and let it out slowly, filling every cell, muscle, and fiber of your being with joy, peace, contentment, enthusiasm, faith, courage, and get ready to enjoy the rest of your day. So thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you in the next episode.